0: 2 Joel chapter 2 We'll look at the rest of Joel chapter 2 today. We'll start in verse number 12. This is the lighter section of Joel. Remember, we've talked about the uh, infestation that's coming, the judgment that's coming. And uh, now we look at the possibility of uh, reprieve. Maybe that's the right word. Uh, We're going to look at a call to repentance, and then a promise of mercy, and then a promise of revival. All here in verses 12 through verse 32. Uh, Let's pray. And then we'll dive into it. Lord, thank you again for letting us come this afternoon. Thank you for your word and what we can learn from it. And I pray that today this would be an encouragement to us. As it's a wonderful truth um, that you are willing to forgive. Uh, Lord, that you are willing to restore and that you're willing to revive. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from this passage today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look first at a call to repentance. He's calling for two different kinds of repentance here. The first one is personal. The second one is national let's uh, so let's start with personal repentance here, verses twelve and thirteen, therefore also saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto your Lord, excuse me, turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. So we see this call for personal repentance, and there's a number of interesting things in here. But we see here, I've underlined in my Bible, all your heart in verse number 12, and then in verse 13, your heart uh, there as well. A reminder, verse 13, what wonderfully worded, rend your heart and not your garments. The idea is a reminder of not the religious action of repentance, but actual repentance. Actually change something. Uh, actually turn from something. May it be a personal, an individual repentance that is there. What does repentance include? Because there is a simple definition of repentance as basically a 180 degree turn. Uh, So I've said this before, but if you're going this way and you repent of it, uh, now you're going the opposite way, that way. That's repentance. So you're talking about repentance of sin, it's I'm going towards sin, I'm following after sin, I repent, now I'm following after God. Um, but there's two kind of things that go into repentance. Number one is humbleness, and, and it's because of sin. It's it's being humbled through sin. It's being humbled because of sin uh, there. And you see it there in verse number 12 at the end of the verse. It says, "With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning." Uh, that is that is a humble action. Those three things: to fast, it takes humility; to weep, it takes humility; to mourn, it takes humility. And it's as a result of sin. It's because of sin. So he's saying, fast because of your sin. Weep because of your sin. Mourn because of your sin. Uh, And then the second part of of repentance is thoroughly turning to God. uh, Or completely turning to God. As he says there, turn ye even to me. Fasting and weeping will mean nothing if we don't turn to God. Uh, All the religious action that you can do means nothing to God. Right, he says, uh, is it to Saul, uh, I think it's to Saul, it's in Samuel, uh, where he says uh, the, the, the sacrifice, I don't care about that, I care about the obedience. Uh, I need you to understand it's not about doing religious action or activity, it's about your heart changing and being correct. So we're talking about repentance, it, it involves humbleness because of sin, and then completely or thoroughly turning to God. Uh, It's always a turning to something, not just a turning away from something. Uh, You don't repent away from one thing and not go towards something different. And so it's a turning to God, a turning away from sin, and it's a humbleness because of sin. So why should we repent? Well, number one reason I think that, that most of us would agree with is that because God judges sin. If I stay in sin, there's going to be a judgment. And so one reason to repent is to avoid the judgment that God says He will do to sin. Verse 13, though, also says the reason why we should repent is because God is gracious and merciful. Because if you do repent, God will forgive you. It says there in verse 13, And rend your heart, not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger, of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. One of the most encouraging reasons to repent is not just to avoid the the judgment, but to actually experience God. He is merciful. He is kind. Um, he will he will uh, turn from his uh, he doesn't use the word anger here, but repent him of the evil. It, it, he'll turn from his anger and his wrath if you come. And that is not to say that your sin won't still have a consequence, but what it is saying is that that God will. Uh, will choose not to rain down judgment on you if you ask for forgiveness of your sins. Why? Because God says, I forgive your sin. And when I forgive your sin, when God forgives your sin, is what I mean by by I, when God forgives your sins, He says it's as far as the east is from the west. It's behind me. I don't go back and revisit it. Once I've forgiven it, it is gone in God's eyes, which is a great example of what we should do as well. But here the idea of repentance comes. Well, one, is to avoid the judgment. But two, is because God will actually forgive you. Uh, He is gracious and merciful and and slow to anger and great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. So great reasons to repent right there. Uh, But this is the personal repentance. Then in verse 15 through 17 comes the national repentance. Because, yes, I individually have to take care of myself. I'm responsible for me. Uh, I am not. I'm not solely responsible for your sins. I am solely responsible for my sins. Now, are there things that I can do to help in the case of your sins? Yes, but I've got to take care of me first. Individual repentance. Secondly, is the national verse number 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore would they say among the people, where is their God? It's a call to national repentance here. It's gathering everybody from the youngest to the oldest. It's bringing them in. It's it's, it's coming together to a place of worship. It is a a calling on God. And here in the Old Testament was this way where the priests would go on behalf of the people. And, uh, and we see here, the, let the priests, verse 17, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, let them pray, spare thy people, O Lord. Don't make them a reproach. Don't make it where the heathen can say, where is their God? That's national, that's national repentance. You remember Nineveh. Jonah came into Nineveh, and he preached the message he didn't want to preach. And he preached, repent. There's judgments coming. And the king of Nineveh called the people, and he said, we better repent. And the people repented, and God spared Nineveh. National repentance. We should be praying for this. We should be asking God for this. But not only that, we should be actively doing our part to bring national repentance. How do we do that? We love people and we share the gospel with them. It's through the the truth of God's word that brings repentance. We can hold a sign that says, you're going to hell. We can stand on the street corners and scream at people, you're going to hell. It's not going to draw people to repentance. Because although the Bible teaches that sinners are on their way to hell, it also preaches to love thy neighbor. He also preaches to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel does does mention hell, I guess, in the sense that the reason why Jesus came. But the focus of the gospel is not hell, it's heaven. The focus of the gospel is Jesus Christ and what He did. And sometimes we try to scare people into heaven. That's not the way God intended it, I don't believe. The way that God intended for us to challenge people with their need for salvation, is the fact that Jesus and God loves them. And that He gave Himself for them. You know the question of why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, why, do, why does God allow tragedy to strike? Why does, uh, if God truly loved people, then why would He even create hell? The reality is, is because God loves people, He made a way to heaven. God doesn't send you to hell in the sense where He, um, where he traps you where you can't, you can't have another option. God makes a way for heaven. And now it's on us to share the gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to tell them. And then once you do your job of sharing the gospel, it is now on them whether to receive it or not. And there are people, millions of people, who've rejected the gospel of the Lord. The Bible says that many there be that go through that wide gate that leads to destruction, and only a few that go through that narrow gate. But it's not our job. I posted a a comment from a couple years ago recently on, on Facebook that came back up. It's not my job to sample the soil, it's my job to spread the seed, it's my job to share the gospel. And then I let God take care of the rest. And it's important that we understand that for national repentance, it has to start with individual repentance, and then it has to go into influence from there, doing my part. Uh, And you see here the gathering of the people. Uh, So that's a call to repentance number two, a promise of mercy. Uh, Verses 18 through 27 go through this. We won't read every verse, but let's hit some of them. Verse 18, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto uh, his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the the northern army and will drive him into the land barren and desolate with his face toward the, the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up. And his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. And then he says, fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. He says, that, verse 22, be not afraid, ye beasts. If you remember, and, and previously, everyone was affected by whether it's the army or the locusts or however you want to view it, everyone's affected by it. The, the humans, the people, the beasts of the field, they didn't have any food, all that kind of stuff, because everything just is a waste, barren land. And so he's saying here, he starts off with the people in verse 18 through 20. Uh, he says in verse 22, Be not afraid, ye beasts, for he's going to bless the fields. Verse 23, Be glad then, ye children, and rejoice uh, in the Lord your God. Uh, verse 24, The floor shall be full of wheat. Verse 25, I'll restore the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm, and the caterpillar, and the palmerworm, my great army which I sent. Among you, so there is the uh, the the bringing back of everything that was destroyed. Uh, verse twenty six: You'll eat in plenty and be satisfied. Verse twenty seven: You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. It's because of God's mercy. He says, if you repent, here's here's the result. Everything that was that was absolutely destroyed will be blessed. Everything that was doing the destroying will be cursed. Uh, I'm going to take care of you. I'll take care of the people. I'll restore the people, I'll take care of. Uh, the the, the beasts of the field will have to eat again. God, listen. God created the animals. And God does not one time does God favor the animals over the people. Humans are God's fondest creation. That's what He loves. He didn't send His Son, Jesus, to die for the animals. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the rest of His creation. And He talks about it in Matthew where He feeds the sparrows. He clothes the weeds of the field. How much more will He feed and clothe you? You understand that? So He still he takes care of His creation all the way around. And here He's saying, if you repent, I'll restore everything. You'll have everything you need to eat, you'll have, over, you'll have an abundance of things to eat. As he says there in verse 24, the floor shall be full, the vats will overflow. You'll have more than you need. We'll take care of you if you'll just repent. And that brings us to the last point. Uh, mercy, restoration there, we see the last point is a promise of revival. A restoration is a, is a bringing back to, to, uh, to its original uh, uh, standing, right? If you're restoring a house, you're taking something that's old and beaten and you've made it back into something that looks new. A revival, we've talked about this a lot, a revival is a bringing back to life now, breathing breath into it. Verse 28, he says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And for the record, prophesy here is simply proclaim. We think of prophet we think of knowing the future. Um, it's, it, it, this, this idea of prophesy, we see it in the New Testament. It talks about the, their women prophesied also. It is, it is meaning. There are times in the Bible, as it, I talk about prophets, that do that, but it's just meaning proclaiming, saying what God wants them to say. Uh, anyways, back to it. Uh, your do- sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Doesn't that sound awfully New Testamentish? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord uh, shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. It's a promise of revival. And it's important to understand that revival follows restoration. Restoration from God is forgiveness and rebuilding. Right? It's a forgiveness and a rebuilding. Revival is not going to come until I've been forgiven, until my sins are gone. Until my life is where God needs it to be. And so he restores, and immediately following that restoration is the revival. Now his spirit is pouring out on the people. That's, that's, that's a, a spiritual blessing. Not only are they going to have the physical blessings of the restoration and the health and the, the food and the, all those sorts of things and, the, and the, the safety, but now we're talking about a spiritual outpouring uh, in, into the people. And now they are, Lord, we are your people. Lord, you are our God. That's revival. It's a people who were not following after God, who were not even worshiping God. Now... Are fully fledged, because they have come to Him in repentance, He has forgiven and restored them, and now the revival takes place. We have a lot of Christians who will claim to want revival, but they're not even yet been restored. Because they still live in their sins, and they don't go to God and ask God for forgiveness. And their thinking is, is when God revives me, then I'll get right. It's not how it works. Repentance has to come before the revival. And it's the same thing individually and nationally. Our nation will not experience revival until it comes with repentance. Nineveh didn't have uh, this, 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 this great awakening until it repented. And America is the same way. And your life is the same way. You will not be revived by God until you first come to God and say, God, I've gone the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong direction. I repent. God, forgive me. And now I'm restored in the fellowship and in the blessings of God. And now revival can happen in my life. That's where it has to start. And we see this, this promise of it. It's not, a, it's not a maybe, it's a win. It's a win. As he says there in verse 12, Turn ye even unto me with all your heart. And then in verse 18, he says, Then. That's when it comes. It's a process. It is a it is a simple, a simple step. God, I'm wrong. God forgive me. And when I do that, then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the blessings. And again, it's not to say that everything in life will be peachy. It's not to say that you won't go any th- any trials or hardships. But it's that you have God on your side. And if God be with us, who can be against us? If, if I am in perfect, uh, we talked about this, the, the perfected love of God. If I'm in perfect fellowship with God that we read about in 1 John. If I, uh, now listen, um, uh, Brett, come here. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like at home. Hey, come here. Way over there, What? Thank you. I love you. All right. So for Brett, you stay there. So if me and Brett are, uh, are this far apart, there's only so much I can do for him, right? I can, I can advise him. I can guide him. Things like that. But if he's being attacked by something, I can't do anything standing over here. I can yell. I can scream, I guess. But if he's got a dog gnawing at his, at his ankles and I'm over here, there's not much I can do, right? So the perfected love or the perfect fellowship of God means I'm right next to God. Now if something comes, what can I do? I can do everything. And so when you're talking about thinking spiritually speaking, uh, when we're, we're talking about being in fellowship with God and having God's protection for me, if it's not perfected, meaning I've got sin in my life so there's a division, it's not to say that God is me. He can do a lot more than I can, right? but it means that now I'm, I'm not close to God like I need to be. And I might do a little bit better so then I'm a little closer to God, but, but at the end of the day, I still there's still something that's, that's, that's hindering uh, my fellowship with God. Therefore, I'm not as close to God as I can be. Now, is God capable? Yes. But does God allow things uh, to happen as a result of your sin and the separation with Him? Sure. But God says when you are right with me. When you're where you're supposed to be, now you're fully protected, fully guarded, fully uh, under the control of God. Now he's right, I'm right next to Him. And now nothing can get me. It can try. Uh, and to, to not belittle God, God can kick it away. Right? But I have to be right next to God for the, for the most protection in my life, for the best protection in my life. Otherwise, I'm left vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. But if I'm right here, God's got me. Understand that? And that comes as a result of repentance and then God's restoration. It's a result of me saying, I need to be close to God. Thanks, bud. We've got to be right up next to God. It's it's just a a simple thing. It It makes a whole lot of sense, but for whatever reason, we, we still keep our distance from God. And we don't look at it as, well, you know, I'm okay because I'm just doing these little things here and there and, and I'm still mostly right with God, so God's still going to take care of me. God still loves me, so it'll be okay. Well, yes, God still loves you, but you're opening yourself up to attacks and you're just weakening your system. But when you're right there next to God, when, they, when you turn with all your heart, as it says in verse 12, uh, then God's right there next to you and God's, God's got you. Even when the hardships comes, God's there to push them away. God's there to deliver you. God's there to carry you through. And it's just a result of being next to Him. So it starts with repentance. And God's saying, if you'll repent, I'll forgive. And then He brings the mercy and the restoration that comes along with it. And then the promise of revival following immediately after uh, that as well next week we'll look into Joel chapter 3 I'm not sure if we'll get through the whole chapter or not next week we may conclude Joel next week